Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. We are just so tremendously blessed by the musicians in this congregation, and I'm so grateful to you all for all the ways that you share your gifts. Um, We are finishing up the Lessons from the Land series today. We finish it at the same time we're, of course, coinciding it with reading the Bible, and we land in Joshua today, which is probably one of the most problematic books in the Bible, and I'm going to skip over the problematic pieces today. (laughs) Just simply because it doesn't fit extremely well in the series. But if you have questions while you're reading through Joshua um, or any parts of the Bible, remember that you can come see me. That we also have, uh, I have a Sunday school class. I have a Wednesday night Bible study, although this Wednesday, Ash Wednesday. But, you know, you can still bring your questions in the following Wednesdays. Um, but today what we're going to do is reflect on what it means to cross the Jordan River. And so with that in mind, um, hear now the word of the Lord. Joshua took down the camp early in the morning. He and all the Israelites marched out of Shittim and came to the Jordan where they stayed overnight before crossing. At the end of three days, the officers went through the middle of the camp. They commanded the people, as soon as you see the Lord your God's chest containing the covenant and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to march out from your places and follow it. But let there be some distance between you and it, about 3,000 feet. Don't come near it. You will know the way you should go, even though you've never traveled this way before. Joshua said to the people, make yourselves holy. Tomorrow the Lord will do wonderful things among you. Then Joshua said to the priests, lift up the covenant chest. Go along in front of the people. So they lifted up the covenant chest and went in front of the people. The Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to make you great in the opinion of all Israel. Then they will know that I will be with you in the same way that I was with Moses. You are to command the priests who carry the covenant chest. As soon as you come to the bank of the Jordan, stand still in the Jordan. Joshua said to the Israelites, come close, listen to the words of the Lord your God. Then Joshua said, this is how you will know that the living God is among you and will completely remove the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites before you. Look, the covenant chest of the ruler of the entire earth is going to cross over in front of you in the Jordan. Now pick 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one per tribe. The soles of the priest's feet who are carrying the chest of the Lord, ruler of the whole earth, will come to rest in the water of the Jordan. At that moment, the water of the Jordan will be cut off. The water flowing downstream will stand still in a single heap. The people marched out from their tents to cross over the Jordan. The priests carrying the covenant chest were in front of the people. When the priests who were carrying the chest came to the Jordan, their feet touched the edge of the water. The Jordan had overflowed its banks completely the way it does during the entire harvest season. But at that moment, the water of the Jordan coming downstream stood still. It rose up as a single heap very far off, just below Adam, which is the city next to Zarathon. The water going to the desert sea, that is the Dead Sea, was cut off completely. The people crossed opposite Jericho. So the priest carrying the Lord's covenant chest stood firmly on dry land in the middle of the Jordan. Meanwhile, all Israel crossed over on dry land 
until the entire nation finished crossing over the Jordan. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So today is Transfiguration Sunday, which is that moment when we remember that Jesus took Peter, James, and John and went on top of a mountain, and then he was transfigured. Um, He became glowing white, and then Moses and Elijah were present there. Um, And I was thinking about that. I I I was wondering if James and Peter and John expected a mountaintop experience. In fact, that's kind of the definition of the mountaintop experience, right? But... Did they expect that was going to happen? There are moments in our life when we do have expectations. And I think one of those times that we have expectations is when we when we are traveling, when we are coming into a new land. And if we think about the passage that I read just a moment ago, you know, how how could these people, these people who had wandered 40 years in that wilderness, you saw the wilderness up there. It is barren. 40 years in that wilderness, how could they not have expectations of what it was going to be? They've been promised this land of milk and honey and is such a long time coming. By that same token, those people who went on this journey would oftentimes describe it as the trip of a lifetime. And we had literal mountaintop experiences over and over. We were on top of a lot of mountains. Um, But I think we also went with some expectations to be moved by the places where Jesus had walked, where Jesus was born, where Jesus died. And I think in the midst of that, both the Israelite people and us had expectations of the Jordan River. The Jordan River for the Israelite people marked that border that as soon as they crossed that Jordan River, they were coming into the land of milk and honey. And then we have this mythical understanding of the Jordan River. We've sung about it. We've heard about it our whole lives. It it not only marks this moment like we find in Joshua, but it's where Jesus was baptized. And so much of our faith is narrated around this river. It is a place of profound significance. But when we got there, well, y'all saw it. Um... I wouldn't call it a river. I would call it a creek. Uh, in fact, I was explaining to confirmation class just, just before this. I was like, the Jordan River is about the same length of, as the junior high classroom upstairs in the youth room. It's not that big. And in fact, you saw it having gone beyond its banks. It had flooded in Jordan a couple of weeks before that. It was the high rainy season. That's pretty much, unless there is a... Once in a century's flood, that's as big as it gets right there. It's a creek, and it's a dirty, muddy creek. It is not some pristine trout fishing place, right? And so I wonder about the, 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 these people who, who, after all these years of wandering in the desert, come to this mythical marker of this transition into this new land. And I wonder if they all went, really? This is what's been standing between us and this great land? And I also have to wonder if they didn't go, uh, we don't really need the big show. Like, you, you don't have to stop the water. We can just walk across. 
I mean, there were reeds sticking out of it the whole way. It's not that tough, y'all. You could have thrown a rock from one side to the other, although I do not recommend it because one side is Israel and the other side is Jordan and you don't want to start a war. But um, (laughs) but it's really, it's not that impressive. Now, what God is doing in that moment is making Joshua into the new Moses so it's supposed to mimic the crossing of the Red Sea. But I have to also think that they were like, okay, Joshua, you didn't get as good of a show, really. And then when we went there, you know, I'll admit on the bus, I had to explain to people, I will not rebaptize you. We do not rebaptize in the Methodist church. It is a chargeable offense for me to rebaptize you. We are going to be recording this. There will be evidence. So I'm not going to rebaptize you. And people were, I think, really disappointed as we were on the bus heading there. And then we got there and they saw that river and they're like, we're good. We're good. Don't need to get in that. It's all right. You can just sprinkle a little water on her head. We'll remember our baptism. It's all good. (laughs) So the the expectation sort of crashed in with the reality. But then we also did get to go into Jericho. And there we saw a town that is 10,000 years old. They jockey back and forth with Damascus for the claim to be the oldest town in the world, continually inhabited, 10,000 years. And we also saw another mountain, the mountain where Jesus was tempted. And the reason that that was an effective mountain is because from that mountain in Jericho, you can see the land of milk and honey. It is starkly different from the wilderness. There are dates and there are palms and there are lush valleys and there are cities and you can sort of see why this would be a land that people would fight over and are still fighting over germinated way back here but continuing as we shared a few weeks ago still today and for me I think that was the miracle of this trip that the concrete and the transcendent mixed together that the expectations and the realities blended in, in surprising ways and ways I think that we couldn't expect. Those places that we did expect to have those kind of mountaintop moments with God oftentimes were not the ones that met those expectations. Most of the people on the trip described disappointment at the Church of the Nativity. It was a beautiful church, but it was a built-up church, and you were very much herded in And the place supposedly where Jesus was born, you were given 30 seconds to take a picture and then you had to move on, right? I mean, it it felt like you were in line for a ride at Disney World. Um, It it just didn't have that moment of quiet meditation. And same thing in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which contains the supposed tomb of Jesus. We had to stand in line for the tomb of Jesus. We had to wait a little while while there was a procession that went by. In the meantime, we got pushed up against the tomb by forklifts because they were doing construction in the church. It's not very holy when you're standing in line and a forklift pushes you to the side. And then there is a priest that stands at the entrance of the tomb and he watches his watch. And again, you have about 30 seconds to go in, kneel down, say a prayer, get out. So didn't quite meet the expectations of folks yet. Around Bethlehem, there's also the shepherd's field where you go on the hill where it is likely the shepherds encountered the angels. 
And you can look out over that landscape and feel that presence. And then there's the garden tomb. No one really knows where Jesus is buried, but there's a garden tomb that presents a little bit more of what it would have been like. And we were one of two tour groups there. We were given time to go into the tomb and think about what Jesus did for us. For me, I think these two experiences were perhaps best joined when we, when we eh, kind of marched the Via Dolorosa. That was the day we walked eight miles. And most of it, I swear, the whole thing was uphill. Um, it's in Jerusalem. When they say go up to Jerusalem, they mean it. You just keep going up. Um, but we were marking all of the stations of the cross, walking along, actually kind of having to navigate through the crowds and through merchants and through cars. We had to sandwich up against the walls as the cars went by. And there wasn't much time to reflect at any of the stations of the cross. But then as I reflected on that, I realized that, that was what it was like. Jesus wasn't given time to rest. People weren't given time to stop and pray over these moments. He was pushed to his execution. And most people that were filing by did not care about this man. And so in the hurry, in the busyness, in the maddening pace that we were on, it sort of felt very real at the same time. All of this journey marked for us how much this land imprints itself on everyone who goes there and everyone goes there. We were there. Romanians were there. People from Asia were there. People from Nigeria were there. We heard languages spoken from all over the world. We saw people moved and crying and praising the Lord from all over the world. Because they wanted to be in that place and have that moment, that experience imprinted on who they are. And in the midst of the frantic nature of being on a tour like this, there is a true encounter with God. It was a place where I think everyone on the trip in one way or another had a moment, at least a moment, in which they felt the presence of God. For me, it was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, And I just wept. And said, thank you, God, for suffering. Because now I know how you know how it feels. We got to see this place where God has gone on ahead of us. And called us to it. You've never been there, but you'll know the way. Because God has gone ahead of us. But then also, God walked with us there. And that was the surprise of God. That there were places and moments, maybe not the ones we expected, but moments that snuck up on us and we knew, we knew God was with us. And then it also imprinted on us each other. It was a true encounter, not just with God, but with my neighbor, the neighbors that went with me. And now they are my fellow pilgrims. They are my brothers and sisters in Christ. They are my new and abiding and forever friends from this experience. These are some of the pilgrims that were with us, and we all have stories. I've gotten to stand up here for five weeks and tell you mine. But we all have stories, and we all love to share that with you and grow in relationship with you as we do. Thank you all so much.
The thing is, when we do something like this, it creates a new reality within us. We had this saying while we were there that we've always read the Bible in black and white, and now we read it in color because we've seen it. When I have asked those four questions that I go around sharing with folks, it helped me discern what this community here gathers around, what we value. And travel was our number three top core value, which people felt very guilty about. And I said, do not feel guilty about travel being one of the things that we value because travel always changes us. Travel is a way of being transfigured. Travel is transformation. It provides for us new understanding. It links our hearts to new people. It changes us, and we then bring that change home and share it with others. It is a powerful mechanism of God to help us better understand God's creation, better understand God's world, better understand God's people. So as faithful people, we should travel. We should. And we should travel before our knees give out, if at all possible. Let's go together. Let's be transformed together. Let's journey together. And let us draw closer to God together through it. In God's holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon Podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo at fumcbentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example for radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.